Welcome to the podcast of Grace and Peace Church. We're glad you're journeying with us, and we hope that you find value from the teachings. If you'd like to connect or support the mission of Grace and Peace Church, check us out at graceandpeacechurch.org or find us on Instagram or Facebook. Grace and Peace. This week, I thought I'd spend a little bit more time talking about Lent because it is something that either is foreign or it's totally familiar to you, um, and spend a little bit of time just kind of digging into it. And then we're going to dig into our passage that um, I'm going to take a little bit of the Mark study that we're going through. This will be the last one that we kind of hit on in Mark because we've been studying through the book of Mark. Um, And then we're going to jump straight into just straight Lent studies, and it's going to be a little bit based on what comes out of the Lent guides. So um, one of the things we want to start incorporating a little more is kind of the the visual aspect, the iconology that you see in the guide. Um, There's some beautiful paintings that are in there that speak and speak powerfully as you begin to sit with them and meditate on them. And so we're going to kind of incorporate some of that during Lent and um, and a couple of various uh, new things. So um, first off, I want to say is... Last week, we kind of talked about what you were going to give up, where you're going with it, and hopefully some of you made some of the commitment to do that, um, what you're fasting. Essentially, Lent is a season of subtraction. Um, A lot of people will just say it's fasting, um, and a lot of people will condense it into just food. Um, But it could be a subtraction of time. It could be a subtraction of resources. Some people don't buy anything for the entire Lent, other than groceries, obviously. Um, Some people subtract... Um, kind of like hobbies, certain things that they do. Um, it doesn't have to be just food. So it's, it's a season of subtraction. It's just 40 days uh, leading up to Easter. And we subtract something out. And there's also an element of addition. So adding back in some time with God, prayer. Adding in, I'm going to read for five minutes. If I'm not going to be eating lunch, I'm going to be reading my Bible. And basically, basically what you're doing is you're moving your consumption from stuff. If it's social media, that's what I'm doing right now. I'll just be open and honest with you guys. Um, I recognize how much time I put into social media that I'm like, morning and evening, those are just time sucks. Like, they are not worth it. And so I was like, I'm going to eliminate that. And I've already seen some beautiful things start to happen in my own life from just removing those chunks of time. And, um, and so that consumption that we have, like we consume media, we consume food, we consume fun, we consume money, right? Um, removing that consumption and saying, I'm going to consume God. Like I, wanna, I want God to be the thing that sustains me, that makes me happy, that makes me content, joyful. Um, it's just a shift, right? And it's essentially it should be something we're doing all the time, but I think God and I think the church and the church community understands that we can't live in that intensity 24-7. We can't be that way all year round. So let's have an intense 40 days where we go, okay, now I'm seeing things differently for 40 days, and maybe it'll shift your life the other days of the year, right? Um, and so um, it's kind of like a, a training camp, so to speak, 40 days training camp for Christian life. Uh, that's a good way to put it. Um, so last week we studied... Um, this passage where Jesus gets at the core of religious rituals and rules and basically calls out the Pharisees, right? Um, And uh, and here's the passage. I'll 
throw up, it's uh, Mark chapter 7, verse 14, and this is the core of it. He says, again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen to me, everyone, and understand this, nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. So nothing outside, nothing you eat, nothing you do, because basically the Pharisees called him out for eating some grain without washing their hands, right? And he's like, really? That's going to make me unholy? I don't think so. What he says is, rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. It's what comes out of you. And so the question I want to ask us right now, like as we dig into this idea of Lent, is what comes out of your life? What comes out of your life? Reflect on that. Reflect on it for a moment. And it's going to be a little moment of silence. Um, But what comes out of your life? What do people see? Currently, you see my, I'm going to address the elephant in the room, my fat finger. I should probably do that. Um, I cut my finger this week. So you guys see that I cut my finger visibly. I tried to cut it off. It didn't work. Um, Just kidding. (laughs) Um, No, I sliced it pretty good and had to get stitches. Um, But what do people see about your life? What do they see that you're up to? You can see that I was up to some carpentry and failed miserably. Um, What do people see about your life? What do they see about the words that you say? What do they see about the places that you go to? What do they see about who you are? Um, Jesus points out clearly, it's not what you bring into your life. It's about what comes out of your life, what comes out of your heart. He says it in other parts where he's like, out of the mouth, uh, out of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? So what's in your heart, what's really in you, what you begin to nurture and value and think is important, that's what's going to come out of your life. Sure, there's influences, right? But we've all been around horrible things, but that doesn't define us. That doesn't make us who we are, right? How we deal with those things, if we see something really horrible, um, how we deal with it is what matters most. If we see something really horrible and we go, man, I want to be part of that. I want to be a horrible person just like that and do that to other people. I'm all about it. That's you taking it in and saying, this is the kind of thing I'm going to put back out. But you could see it and go, nope, that's wrong. I don't want to be a part of that anymore. I'm not in and change it and shift, right? We have decisions to make. We have discernment. Um, that's, what, that's where wisdom comes in. Um, and so there has to be this, uh, this, this, I guess, sense of reflection, introspection, where we begin to go, okay, what's coming out of my life? What am I doing? How are people perceiving who I am and what I'm doing? Um, do they see me as self-centered? Do they see me as... Um, consumed by my own desires, or do they see me consumed with serving and loving and generosity? So this season of Lent is looking deeper into our lives, looking deeper into what we've taken in and what we've said is important and how we're going to live that out um, and, uh, and begin to sort through what's good, what's beneficial, what's helpful, what's life-giving, and then go, I want more of that, right? And that's 40 days of just looking at that and then seeing, I think, ultimately what really destroys us. So I mentioned that, like, I gave up social media. Um, We all know that everything kind of has its pros and cons, and that social media for me was one of those things that, like, I think I got to the point where it was more negative than positive, right? Like, it was doing more damage than it was good. And so I left a little block of time in the middle of the day where I can post things for the church if I need to or answer, because a lot of, like, my interactions with people are on social media. but then uh, beginning to shift like the extra time, the useless time, the scrolling, the mindless scrolling, right? And beginning to see that that is not helpful. Um, 
and so I think sorting through and beginning to see what is beneficial, what is helpful, um, I think that's what's good about Lent. That's what's good about these 40 days. And, um, and so social media, again, is uh, maybe you can relate. It's one of those silent killers that I think comes in and robs us of joy. There's a bit of an echo. Do you guys hear that? Sorry. It's super distracting for me. Um, <laughs> there you go. Um, I hope it's not distracting for you guys. Um, should I just start yelling? Oh, it's that that's on. Sorry. There we go. Is that better? Yes. Or am I just off? <laughs> what do I do? <laughs> I'm just pointing it out. I'm in a feedback loop. Here we go. Um, the, and the only reason I keep it on is because people are watching and listening to our podcast during the week, and so I was like, I don't want to cut it off. Um, but the, uh, this idea of social media robbing us, I think, is a cultural thing that many of you are probably aware of, of how damaging it can be. Um, and I think we've even seen it recently um, with what's going on with the issue in Ukraine and Russia. Um, misinformation, lies, um, sorting through right and left, truth and untruth, right? All of that stuff, all it does is create division. All it does is create a lot of tension between you and whoever else you think is wrong and on the other side, right? Um, and so I've just seen how damaging it could be. And, um, and I feel like, again, it's one of those things that you can remove in order to say, what's valuable? What's good? What is life-giving? What is actually going to help us as believers become more loving, become more the kind of community that we desire to be or that Jesus invites us to be? Um, and so what I want to say is that Lent, again, is this idea of, learning to be more like Christ and being super intentional about it. Uh, I watched this commentary this week that was talking about Lent and its origination and all that stuff. It started in um, 325 um, AD. And so it's like this very, um, I guess, rooted in the church kind of a tradition. Um, And it originally was called a season of purification and enlightenment. I thought that was interesting to think about, like this idea of purification and enlightenment where it's like I'm being aware of what I'm doing, of the tasks that I have each day, being more in tune with it so that I can be more like Christ, but then also this idea of purification. And I think the reason that it fell to the wayside was because the church said, no, like Christ, Christ alone, once you're saved, you don't have to worry about any of that stuff. Like, you shouldn't be legalistic about your faith in any way. But I don't see this as legalistic. I see this as I want to become more and more a loving person, right? And if it requires me, uh, requires of me to have a discipline, a 40-day discipline that begins to sort through the things that I think are unhealthy or damaging to my life that keep me from being a loving person, then that should be good, right? And so um, I hope that the church can continue to learn and grow, and I talk about the church just globally, um, that these disciplines shape us, that they're good for us. Sure, people can get legalistic, and that's what we talked about last week, if you want to go back and dig into that. But Jesus is like, continue to refine your heart, continue to be that loving person, and continue to grow in what that looks like. And so the final analogy that I want to give you guys for Lent um, comes from this show that we just watched. It's called Welcome to Earth. Have you guys seen that? Anybody? With Will Smith? Okay. So Will Smith has this amazing series where he goes and he said, 
I want to go to the ends of the earth, to the places where no one's ever been, which he's like, I didn't think that that would really exist. But he said, there's adventures in our world that will take you to places that you are not aware of. And I was like, kind of skeptical. I was like, what else are you going to show us, you know? And the first episode, I was blown away. Like, takes him to this volcano. And this guy goes with him. His name is Eric Weinmayer. It's a hard name to say. Um, But he's a blind explorer that has climbed Everest and I think some ridiculous another amount of like peaks that were just, I don't know, some insane amount, but I was like, how do you do that? And, um, and so like as you watch these episodes, like 45 minutes of just being mind blown the entire time. And there's all these little like nuances and facts about things that we just sometimes aren't even aware of. And one of the things that he drew my attention to was the fact that um, when you don't have sight, you rely on other senses, right? So you have to rely on, on, his, on his hearing, most of all, and his feeling, right? So when you guys sit here, and as we all do, most, many of us, um, we take for granted the fact that we can look and see what's going on around us. Um, and sometimes we ignore the fact that our senses, our hearing, will inform a lot about what's going on around us. And so they go to this volcano, and this is a, like the most active volcano in the world right now, and they climb down into it, right? And there's this, like, I don't know, what do you call it, like a, a debris field that as they walk down there, that's covered with rocks where every now and then this thing explodes and throws out these boulders that are like this big, and, and you just have to be aware of that, like, when it explodes, you gotta just you gotta look around. You gotta watch what's going on. And um, but one of the things that happens is as they climb down in this thing, he says like you will feel it explode before you will hear it. And and as these two guys were standing there looking down, like this is kind of a fake image, but as they were looking down into this like fiery abyss, he was like, what do you what do you feel? What do you sense? And he starts describing it, and like they both close their eyes, or he closes, Will closes his eyes, and he's just like, I hear the ocean because you can hear how much like lava is flowing and going back and forth. And then one of the things he notices is that like as there's an explosion, he's like he felt it before he could even hear it. And and then it made him more aware of what's happening, what's going on around him. And I just I thought that was a beautiful uh, analogy for I think how we are as believers. That I think Lent is a season where you remove something, in order to see what God's doing around you a little bit more and to feel it. And I think that I've noticed that just in the the few days that we've removed social media, that I've removed social media from my life, is that I could feel more of what God's telling me. I can feel more of what's going on around me because I'm not distracted with my phone 24-7, right? Because I'm more in tune with the people around me. And I've noticed how many times my kids come up to me and my phone's in my hand. And I could feel this, like, what was going on. I was just, like, kind of in tune with this sense of, like, what's happening between me and my kids a little bit more than I normally was prior to Lent. And I think that's what's beautiful about Len is like we have a little a heightened awareness of feeling, of senses around us and what God is doing. And that's my prayer. That's our prayer as, as, a, as a church is that um, you begin to feel what's going on around you, that you start to feel maybe what your spouse is saying or what your friends are saying, or your family is saying, and you start to feel a little bit more before the explosion even like 
the effects happen that you start to go, oh, wait, there was something I would totally miss and that I wasn't in tune with before. If I had you close your eyes right now, let's just do it. Close your eyes and begin to hear what's going on around us. Start to hear there's kids playing. Airplane. Things we wouldn't have noticed, right? And I think that that's the invitation that we have with Lent, and that's the invitation that we have uh, in this season. Don't get legalistic about it. It doesn't matter. Um, if you need to redirect, change course, do something different, go for it. If you gave up, I don't know, sugar, and you're like, it's not affecting my faith, then just go back to eating some sugar and find something else. Um, <laughs> We don't, have to get the, we don't have to get all into like, the rules. We have to get into what it's doing. Like, what does it make us feel like? What is it actually doing with my relationship with Jesus? Am I becoming more loving? Is it cha- changing my life? Yes? Good. Keep doing it. If not, change it. Swap it out. Um, you don't have to be married to it for 40 days, okay? Um, find something that's more productive, more helpful in your walk with Jesus, um, because that's what it's all about. So let me read this passage. Um, there's going to be two passages. We're going to read one uh, that talks about this in- interaction that Jesus has with a Syrophoenician woman, and then we're going to look at the 40 days that Jesus is tempted, and we're going to see a connection here, okay? Are you ready? Um, I believe it's going to be on the screen, so let's start out Mark chapter 7, verse 24. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it. Yet he could not keep his presence secret, which is interesting. That like everywhere he goes, like people are just like, there he is. We need to be part of what he's doing. Um, something very attractive about his life. In fact, as soon as he, as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an evil spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First, let the children eat all they want, and he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss to the dogs. There's a bit of an insult that we got to dig into a little bit here in a second. But Lord, uh, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed, and the demon was gone. This conversation is kind of unique where he starts talking about bread and crumbs and this reaction that she has. Um, But essentially what you need to know is that it was a female. And hold on for a second, okay? Don't get angry at me. Female, Greek, from out of town, and approaching Jesus, who was a rabbi at the time. So culturally, everything about this interaction that happened shouldn't have happened. Someone from out of town, female with a male in a home, having a conversation. Shouldn't have happened. And some of you are like, well, why not? You know? Culturally, that was not acceptable. But what do we learn about Jesus in this reaction? He engages the woman in a conversation and basically says, I'm going to answer whatever you have going on because of your faith, because you believe what's going on here is bigger than, than anything else you've experienced in your lifetime. 
So what Jesus does is he breaks any kind of uh, cultural norm that existed, even that exists today. He breaks those cultural norms and says, I care about you as a human being. Your identity is no longer Greek. Your identity is no longer woman. Your identity is not where the town that you came from. What he says is like, I care about you, right? Culturally, it shouldn't have happened. But what Jesus informs us about identity is that you are not what the world tells you. You are loved. You are cared for. Um, And so uh, the reason I bring this up is because this brings up an an identity issue um, that I think we all have to wrestle with at some point that Jesus begins to dismantle, to break apart any kind of identity things that we've adopted that are unhealthy, that are damaging, that we think are super important, right? In that culture, like Jews are more important and more special than anybody else, right? The Greeks were considered dogs, as it says in this passage. Jesus is like, no, we're not about that, right? Jesus transforms it, changes the conversation, and says... You were valuable, you were important, um, and, and completely just destroys any kind of like damaging, dysfunctional identity issues that we have that exist. And you can probably come up with a bunch of them right now, where we probably say, I'm only valuable to my family, friends, if I produce money, if I produce... I don't know, enough care for them, whatever. Like, you can come up with all kinds of things that if I drive the right car, have the right home, if I have the right resources, um, that all those things we somehow have, like, labeled as that's what makes you valuable. Jesus destroys that. He completely transforms it and makes it about something deeper, something more important. And, um, and so we continue on, and I want to show you a little bit more of this identity thing that he talks about um, because... What Jesus does and where we get this idea of Lent is from the 40 days where he fasts, where he goes out in the desert. And then at the end of it, he has this conversation with Satan, essentially, um, that basically calls out true identity of where he's at. And there's three questions that are asked, okay? Um, I'm going to read it because you may have never read this before, but um, and if you have, then maybe it's a refresher. But this conversation is short, but it's powerful, and it talks about where Jesus' identity lies, okay? And he models for us where our identity should lie. So here we go. Satan's just going to, like, try and jab him. And this is typical. Like, Satan will tell us today, right, that you're only valuable if you fill in your blank. We'll talk about that more in a second. So check this out. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting, how many days? Forty days and forty nights. He was hungry, Like, understatement, right? Um, The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. If you are, you'll see the pattern here. If you are, if you really are this cool, you'll do this. Turn this into bread. Here's how Jesus responds. It is written, People do not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, if, again, it's this question, if you are, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, 
so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Here's how Jesus answers it. I'm not about that. It is also written, do not put the Lord God to test. Instantly, it was like, we don't, we don't test God in this way. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said. All of the kingdom, I'll give it to you if you bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended him. These three temptations, I listed them out. Um, I'll throw them up there that basically call us to think we are valuable based on certain things. And Jesus responds in three different ways, basically saying, you need to put God first. It's not about you and your desires. It's not about you and everything that you want. It's about him. And the, the first one is lust of the flesh. So bread, he's instantly like, you're hungry, you should be eating. Use your powers to do this. If you're really God, make it happen, right? And even in that moment of like hunger, extreme hunger, you could imagine Jesus, 40 days, 40 nights, how hungry he must have been, and he's still, he's like, my sustenance comes from where? God, and God alone. Oh, I'm missing one, sorry. Um, less of, oh, I don't know, what is going on? Go this way? <laughs> Keep sliding back and forth. Um, but basically, he says, like, the lust of the flesh, like, that's the first thing, and many of you can probably relate to that. I know I can, that, like, we are driven by our hungers, our desires, Right? Um, and that's one of the things that Satan will continue to jab us at continually. Every day of the week, you are going to experience some kind of challenge to say, oh, man, I just if I had more of this, I'd be happy. If I had a burrito right now, I'd be happy. If I had pizza, if I had, you know, like fill in your blank. If I had my social media, if I had, you know, like all these different things that are desires that we have, like that just we think are going to make us happy, they don't. And Jesus knows that. He knows what ultimately brings satisfaction, joy, contentment, and he just crushes it. And then um, goes on to pride. That like, if I, if you are, if they like, basically talks about like, I'm going to give you this whole kingdom. If you have things, then you are valuable. If you have a full bank account, then you will be happy. If you have, and he's just like, no, I'm not going to test God that way. Like, I know that God is my provider and I don't need anything else. I love that song that Matt uh, led us in earlier, that God is our provider, right? And we sing that, but do we really believe that, right? Like, so many times, like, God is my provider, but I'm stressing out about my finances or I'm stressing out about, like, what's going on around me. That's pride. That's us having, wanting control and saying, like, I want to control things and not let God just do his thing and work in my life. And the third one is... Um, Oh, sorry, um, is that desire? And I kind of hit on that. They kind of overlap in some ways. But essentially, it's like the world will continue to tell us, Satan will continue to tell you that you are valuable if, fill in your blank. And it's probably different for all of us because we're all, and especially at different seasons of our lives, that you will be tempted in different ways, right? The same temptations we had in high school are no longer the temptations we had in college and the same temptations that we have as adults or the same temptations we have when we're older, retired, with grandchildren, right? 
Satan will never give up. He is relentless. He will continue continue to tell you lies that say you are valuable if fill in your blank. And what this comes down to is just recognizing that God has to be the center of what we do. And so I threw in a couple of verses that are actually from the Lent Guide from Philippians 4, where Paul says, for I have learned to be content in all circumstances. And it's in a passage where he's writing to a church and basically saying, thank you for your support in what I'm doing as, um, as I bring the gospel to these different places. But he's like, I'm really, I'm dependent on God. I'm not dependent on money. I'm not dependent on all these other things. I'm really dependent on God for everything. And I've learned that he says in having tons of money and having no money, having tons of food and having no food that no matter what, like I've learned to be content in all circumstances. That's my prayer, man. I want that. Like I'll admit, like I want that 24 seven. I want to be able to have that every single day where I'm content regardless of my circumstances. Wouldn't that be a beautiful thing just to always be content in that place? Um, and just having that right relationship with God. Um, and I believe we can have that. Jesus invites us into that. He wants to set us free. And the reason we don't have that is because we believe the lies that Satan tells us that, no, you need to have these other things. No, you, you have to have plenty of, fill in your blank, food, money, resources. And then you'll be happy. And you're like, no, I actually won't. Um, Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And again, that's a heartbeat, um, a heart desire that says, I want Christ to live in me 24-7. I want him to be the one that rules my life. I want him to be the one that rules my decisions, that rules the way that I speak, the way that I think, the way that I interact, the way that I carry myself, everything um, completely centered around that. And so um, just to close, I guess, is to say this passage where Jesus interacts with this woman from Syrophoenicia, um, he values her. He values who she is above and beyond the fact that she's Greek, Syrophoenician, or woman. Like, labels, they're gone. Like, what he's all about is you are valuable, period. There's no, like, you're valuable if, fill in your blank, the way that Satan was continually trying to, like, seep in and be like, you know what makes you valuable? If you have the kingdom, if you have everything, if you have a large home, if you have large finances, all these different things, right? And what Jesus does is he begins to shape our, our understanding of identity, our understanding that our identity lies solely in him and nothing else. And maybe you need to be reminded of that today, or maybe you know somebody this week that you're interacting with that needs to be reminded of that. Because maybe this is something you've heard. This is like... This is the beautiful message of the gospel, right? But maybe there's somebody in your life that needs to hear this. Maybe there's somebody in your life that is struggling right now with believing the lies that Satan drops into people's minds that they are not good enough, that they are not valuable enough, that they are not beautiful enough. Um, Who can you pour into this week that might need to hear that? that might need that reminder that they are good enough, that they are valuable, that they are cared for, um, because that is the gospel that we are invited into, but also that we are invited to participate in and bring to the world that we live in. And, um, and Lent isn't meant to be just a thing where we become holier and more refined and closer to Christ, but it's also meant to be a, a place where that holiness 
then begins to fact, uh, impact and affect the people around us. God's not just making you a loving person so you can just be content and happy for the rest of your life. He's doing that so that this world is transformed, so that those kids out there that are making beautiful noises are transformed, right? That they begin to experience that. That the neighbor that you have that drives you nuts is transformed. The friends that you hang out with, the people that you work with, that God begins to use your life of contentment, of joy, of peace to help them experience contentment, joy, peace, right? Like we're meant to be this conduit that God works through us and impacts the world that we live in. And so um, a beautiful, uh, I guess, way of looking at scripture is that we don't always read scripture. We allow scripture to read us. Maybe that's a new concept, but think about it. How is this passage reading your life right now? What do you need to hear about identity? What do you need to hear about what God is saying about your life. Again, it's going back to that, the senses. Maybe you need to close your eyes and begin to hear a little bit more. Like, what is God telling me about who I am? What is God telling you about what he's inviting you to do during the week? How is this passage reading you right now? Is there a part of your life that maybe you're like, oh, I, need to, I need to press further into what it means to love this person that I, that I interact with on a daily basis? Um, I don't know. It's different for all of us, right? But my prayer is that we'd reflect and that Lent again this week would be just this like reflecting, processing, discovering more and more of like what Jesus wants to do to set us free, to begin to like just destroy those lies that Satan tells us all the time and begin to help us not only be free, but then to help others experience that freedom as well. So let's pray. Lord, um, thank you for time together like this to study your word and be reminded of our identity in you, Jesus. Um, Lord, I pray that this season of Lent transforms us as a community, that it transforms us as individuals uh, for the sake of the world. So that as we go out, as we scatter, as we are about to leave this place in a few minutes and walk out these doors, Lord, I pray that wherever you take us all, Lord, I just pray that you would work through us, that your Holy Spirit would use us to be loving people, that your Holy Spirit would uh, continue to teach us what it means to care for um, the needs in our community. Um, and, uh, and we recognize that that starts with each and every one of us, that we need to be transformed from the inside out. And so work in us uh, this week. Give us time to sit and reflect and hear from you. Uh, that we might become more like you, Jesus. And we pray this in your name. Amen. So um, before I read the benediction, be sure to take one of these. And if you don't have one or if you don't want to take the paper version, um, there's a digital version right on the front of our website. If you just go to graceandpeacechurch.org every week, every day, whatever you want, to just go in there, click on it. It's there and it's available for digging into. Um, there's pictures, there's music, there's action questions, there's all kinds of stuff. So dig into it. So rejoice in knowing that we never walk alone. Know the grace and peace of Christ walking beside us, guiding and protecting us. And let's share this comfort with one another and feel his presence each moment of every single day. Grace and peace.